amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is an Unspoiled Network podcast. This is Spoil Me, covering The Traitor Queen, chapters 18, 19, and 20. Choices, an agreement, and first encounter. In these chapters, well, it's official. We, uh, <laughs> officially, we have got a new traitor added to the mix who is going to aid in the rebellion. And low-key, Sunia is figuring that she is now, like, throwing in with them, too, because this is her son. So they're following them. Welcome to Spoil Me. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Natasha. Thank you very, very much to Ashley for commissioning this episode. Um, so last episode of coverage, I was just really happy that it felt like I had gotten sort of uh, surprised, very genuinely surprised by something. We still don't have the answer to whether or not these, this was for sure the traders who planted all of these stones. It seems like the logical conclusion. I still kind of want it to not be the obvious party, but I wouldn't be mad at them if that's who it turns out to be. There is, it feels also in this section, a really strong hint that we are going to be trying to do the Sunia plus Regin thing. And I gotta say, I'm so unhappy about that development that I am almost going to choose to ignore it because I feel like I'm just going to go off. The idea, it's low-key twice now. It's very different this time around, but Sunia was terrified of Akarin, and he didn't, of course, he couldn't show his hand and tell her who he was, but for a long period there, he was deceiving her, keeping secrets, and um, using this blood ring to read her thoughts against her will. And then it turns around and all of a sudden he's this great honorable guy with a noble cause who meant well and was doing his best. And she falls in love with him, even though he's way older than her also, and gets knocked up and he dies before they can even really have like a relationship on equal footing in any way. And then the guy who has been, who, who was like almost killed her, a bully that nearly killed her is going to be her next serious love interest. Are we really doing this? I already wasn't a huge fan of her and Akron. I didn't like it that development, you know, I was like, it just felt real squicky to me. And this is worse. And I'm just like, it's weird to me how, um, and honestly, it's kind of funny. And, and maybe you could all, I'm wondering if there are any queer listeners who would tell me if I would be off the base and saying that this was refreshing, um, off the mark, I guess, or off base, I put two together. But 
in many ways, the um, main character, who is a straight cis woman, has like the grossest relationships in the series. And oftentimes, I feel like uh, queer characters are relegated to having really messy relationship situations or being with somebody in like, you know, sort of like Lilia's case with being with somebody who's like just manipulating her this way. Um, but it's sort of funny that like Sania, one would think would have the most boring, straightforward love interests because that's so often the case in a series that's like focused around a straight cis character with a bunch of queer side characters that their love stories are treated a lot more like the um, the normal one. And by normal, it's just sort of like a, an even steady kind of relationship while all this tumult is going on around them. It's interesting how that does not feel like it's the case at all with Sunia. And in some ways, I will say it's like more interesting for sure. It makes me uncomfortable that the author seems to think that I should be like on board with it. Honestly, Sania needs therapy. Regin needs, everybody needs therapy. And I have no interest whatsoever in a woman like creating a lifelong relationship with somebody who treated her the way he did. And that's coming from somebody who, wasn't excessively bullied. I never went through an experience like this. So take it for what it's worth. It's not something that I can speak with a ton of knowledge about. It's just using my imagination. The idea that you that like anybody would really be open to this is bonkers to me. And to be clear, it's not obvious at all if Sunia is actually interested. Like, it's treated to me in the way that it's talked about by Lorcan and by Tyvara. Tyvara tells him that her people think that this is what's going on. They have made it like they've done a read on the relationship between the two of them. And they think that the choice to send them together when they are very clearly like emotionally linked somehow was a bad choice because it makes them each way more vulnerable to the other if they were to be captured and separated and used as leverage against each other. So, I can't help but think that plus the way that Sunia like sort of suddenly uh, it occurred to her that maybe Regin was like romantically interested in her in the last section. It just feels like too many things are pointing in that direction. Not only do I have a problem with it out of the principle of the thing, but why now we're at the end of the third book in a series. And I say end, let me double check exactly how many, chapters we've got here. There were 31 chapters. So we're halfway over halfway. And there has been talk about relationships and whatnot before. And Sunia has thought about it. And it's not like this has been a subject that hasn't come up. But for some reason, the author has decided to do the same thing with Regin that she did with Acheron, which is save up all of the development of a relationship between them for the last half of the last book. If this is indeed what she's doing. And like I said, I'm just operating on the assumption she is from here. And if I'm wrong, I will eat crow and that will be fine. But it seems like she's doing the same thing again. And I don't understand it. It didn't really work super well in the first, like, I really actually enjoyed the first trilogy a lot. And I thought that relationship was the weakest link for sure. And um, I don't understand the mentality behind waiting this long for this to, to, you know, like wouldn't it have been more interesting if it became clearer in the second book that Regin was beginning to develop feelings for her and Sunia really struggled because she had not yet con- like sort of, come to forgive him the way she has by this book and really was alarmed at this sudden turn in the terms of their relationship. And I think that would have been much more interesting to watch happen, not only because of her dealing with her own feelings towards him, not in the vacuum of her own choice to forgive him, but with the knowledge that he is starting to fall for her 
And also you could put that up against that whole thing that happened with uh, Rothen's son. What's his name? Dorian. And, you know, he was propositioning her, basically. He was low-key, like, if you want to have an affair, I'm game. And what if she was, like, suddenly faced with the idea that somebody that she had respected, who she thought was a genuinely good person, was propositioning her for an affair, and somebody who was a bully who she had hated was treating her with more respect and sort of like coming to realize that people aren't who they used to be or aren't who we thought they were. I just think that would have been like the whole thing with her trying to debate whether she wanted to get involved with him. Um, it just didn't have any real stakes to it. And it wouldn't necessarily have changed things a ton if Regin had been added to the mix because it doesn't feel like she was particularly interested in either one of them, but it would have just added a dimension to things that would make it more interesting, you know, because there's sort of an impression I've gotten that Sania hasn't been like at all approached in a romantic way by men in like the past 20 years, you know, and now it's suddenly happening. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just, There's so many things about the way that this has happened that if it indeed goes in that direction, I'm just going to be a little bit fucking cranky over it. I can't lie. I just don't really see why anyone would be for this relationship. I'm... This is one of those that I'm definitely going to go and read the reviews of the book once I'm done because the... I like, I just can't imagine anybody being like, yeah, this is a good turn. This is a good turn for the story to take. And of course, Ashley, as usual, I always want to know what you're thinking about the, this. So I have to imagine we tend to see eye to eye on a lot of things. And I have to imagine that you probably felt a similar way as I do to this development. But um, I just wanted to get it out of the way because that was really that and Daniel with a chotty. Um, those were the main two things that I didn't like in this section. And otherwise I actually rather liked it. Um, so I kind of did want to get that out of the way. And then the whole thing with Daniel, it's not even like that high stakes. He just sort of like has a conversation with Ashaki Achadi where he like Achadi confesses all of the ways in which he was like in control of certain situations up until this point. And he's not exactly like apologizing. He's more, I think, attempting in his way to explain himself to Daniel and show how intelligent he is because he's smug several times. And I think a part of him just enjoys the fact that he like one upped people, which I mean, I can't be mad at him for because I get so smug about shit like that for real. I, it's, it's not cute. Um, however, I still don't really trust this guy. The fact that he like, I'll probably get more into that later, but I am not loving the fact that Daniel goes and sleeps with him. I don't need Daniel and Tyen to like make it work. I'm not super invested in their relationship, but there is something about leaving your lover and not telling them that you're done with them. And treating them sort of weirdly and then they show up and you still go and sleep with this other guy that I am not really rooting for Daniel this book for the most part I'm rooting for Tyend I'm rooting for Lorcan Daniel has sort of lost his shine for me so the two of them hooking up in this chapter I was like kind of left cold on that I just don't really I don't like Ashaki Achadi in particular I don't trust him at all. And yet I don't like or care enough about Daniel anymore to really worry about whether or not he's making a mistake. Because to me, this is like, I don't really need him to be part of things the same way I did anymore. Um, Which is kind of cold blooded to say. Also, I should mention It hasn't been talked about whether or not a man can use the same, like, sex magic on another man. I am assuming that you definitely can. 
And I still don't trust Ashaki Achadi enough. And it makes me like think, is he going to try and kill him? Is that going to be what happens? I can't think that that's how he's going to run it because like Daniel turning up dead in his bed would be bad news, I would think. But, you know, he seems to have a really close relationship with the king and be able to get all kinds of passes on shit. So what do I know? Um, all right. So I'm going to back up. Um, we go to Anyi and Sari and Sari is sending Anyi to go and get some more supplies. And, uh, he's telling her not to take extra stuff just because they're there. And then later on, she does indeed bring some stuff down that she seemed to sort of think like, well, what the hell? And he interprets this as being, as her being impatient, which is funny because like earlier, I think Lilia was thinking that Anya thought Sari was impatient. So apparently nobody's patient, which I can understand. And, uh, but it's, I, I can't help but wonder if her doing this, like taking things sort of at random is going to get them caught, you know? Uh, so he's like checking out their area cause they're beginning to set that trap up, which he hasn't really told Anya about. And he goes into that room that the magicians were trying to grow rowet seeds in. And, um, he leans really, really close and sees that there are these tiny shoots coming up out of the soil and realizes that they, uh, succeeded in getting these plants to grow. And we find out later when Callan and Lilia have their little like meeting, that was her advice that got them the seeds that were actually viable. So uh, good for you, Lilia. Nice call. Um, boop, boop, boop. At least, let's see, he's thinking about, about Sania here. Um, at least if she's discovered, it'll probably be by farm servants or magicians. Neither will harm her. An old memory rose of a much younger Sania standing in a city square, staring down at the burned body of a young man. Magicians could make mistakes. Uh, they did so only because they thought they were under attack. Anyi is a lone young woman and unlike Sania, doesn't have magic. It's really remarkable to think back on the beginning of the first book and the way that the magicians seemed to be such like enemies of the people. Um, I really enjoy when I look back, that was a really neat development. And I think that might be part of what was so difficult about later books was like, we were in the heads of too many good people without there being lots of, uh, and I've said this already about like needing differences in personalities and moralities, but like having there be something presented with a clear, seemingly clear good side and bad side. And then dipping into the heads of some of the people on the bad side and realizing that it wasn't what you thought. That was a really nice twist there. And uh, I sort of miss that in the later books because I enjoyed so much the the realization that like the magicians were framed as if they were like Death Eaters or something from Sania's perspective. They seemed like just evil. And then to find out that really wasn't how it should be and that wasn't how they saw themselves. They were really doing their best. That was a genuine surprise. Um so finally, he hears this noise. He's like waited for Ar uh, Arya, Anya, uh, Anyi. Good God. He's waited for Anyi to come back for a long time and has really started to get a little bit freaked out. So when he hears the noise, he isn't even certain that it's her because it's been so long. He's thinking maybe like fucking Skellen found him, you know. Um, but then he hears the taps in the hallway and she comes in and there's a bunch of fruit. Um, you said you didn't like fruit. She looked away. I said, I didn't like most fruit, which, uh, it's sort of a weird thing. Like, is she stealing some of this for Lilia or what are you, what, is, why are you being so weird about it? Um, so then we go to Tyvara and, but, but, but <laughs> Lorcan has a bit of a conversation uh, with his mother. And she says something about how she bets Tyvara wasn't expecting somebody like Lorcan to come into her life. She's clearly smart, but she's been thrown for a bit of a loop with you turning up, which, um, relatable. And then she finally is like, so, you know, black magic. And he realizes that she looks really sad. 
and just feels super guilty about it. And we find out later that that look of sadness is just her knowing how he's going to be looked at and treated by other people because of the fact that he knows how to do this and that it's really the last thing she would have wanted to subject him to that. You know, she's been through it. She knows how alienating it is. And uh, as much as Regin can be like, no, no, they're, they're just intimidated. They don't hate you or they're not afraid of you. I'm not sure I totally buy that, my friend. Um, so then she starts pressing whether they really need like to be able to use black magic. Um, and she keeps referring it to that, to black magic. And he keeps referring to higher magic. And, uh, he's like, I don't think it would be impossible, but it would be really fucking hard. High magic alters perception and it makes the control of magic different and it's more accurate and easier to do. Um, and I appreciate finally, he says, all magic can be abused. All power can be abused. The traitors are proof that a culture that does embrace higher magic doesn't necessarily turn into Sachaka. This is what I've been saying from the beginning. Like, it's easy to read that horrible account of that, you know, mad uh, magician who killed so many people and killed like fields of livestock and everything. But unfortunately, any kind of like weapon of power or method of, of power structure, you can look back and find somebody who was terrible and able to abuse that. And it's just always something that's like a choice. It's a possibility. And the magic itself isn't necessarily to be blamed for that, especially considering if they had all been like able to, to defend themselves when Chaka attacked last time, it might not have wound up with as much bloodshed as it did. Um, so let's see. She says, just as Callan and I are proof that not every magician goes mad and tries to take over the guild. And he says, I'd thought father was proof of that. And she says, he's not the best example. So he, since he did use it to win the position of high Lord, which is a good point. Um, and she's like, what after what you have discovered here, I actually am starting to wonder what else he kept secret because clearly he had other secrets. Um, and she starts talking about the stone making and the fact that like, okay, I guess the four of us are going to be the only ones who know how to make them then. And he says four. And then he remembers Lilia and Sunia says here, I have a hunch. She has a particular talent for it and others might not so easily learn from a description which uh, I think that's kind of cool. The idea that Lily is just like a bit more naturally gifted at this kind of magic. Um, so bu -bu -bu, I'm trying to make sure that I don't dwell too long on this. Cause I'm still like in the first half of that chapter. Um, so her, his mom comes over and finally talks to uh, the queen. And basically she tells her, we are more than happy to engage in trade with you. We will definitely be willing to exchange stones for healing lessons, healing magic lessons. However, this conflict, we just can't come to an agreement. So we are not going to be able to throw in and support you with that. Um, all have expressed support for your aim to end slavery in Sachaka. If you delay your plans, we may have time to become a more useful ally. If you do not, we wish you every success and hope to form bonds of trade, if not alliance in the future. Um, so at this point, um, Savara sends Lorcan away and he goes and talks to Tyvara, who's asking, what are you going to do? You know, like what, what exactly are your plans now that it turns out that we're not going to like kind of throw in with each other the way we sort of hoped. And he realizes finally, there's nothing that I like, I won't be able to be calm in my heart if I walk away from this and let Tyvara go out and like take all of these risks and I'm not with her her people don't even know how to heal yet. You know, like she, she's just really vulnerable in this way. And, um, 
finally, he's just like, all right, uh, this means if I am throwing in with them, really, I have to essentially abandon being part of the guild. And he says, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to come with you and make sure you don't get yourself killed. Um, and they get interrupted here by Savara and as he sat down, he looked back at Tavara. She gazed back at him, her face shifting from happy to worried and back again. He smiled and her lips widened in reply. Um, so this is the next scene is where we go to Daniel and him and um, Ashaki Achadi. And Achadi's basically like, do you uh, think we could pick up where we left off? If you remember that time that we got interrupted by Tyand and... Daniel has this moment and then he's like, yeah, we could do that. And that's pretty much that scene. Um, and then we go to chapter 19 and Sunia is sort of considering Lorcan here and realizing like he has made this decision already. She knows he's uh, talking about like we, whenever he's talking about the traitors and them, when he's talking about the ally lands and the guild, he's sleeping next to Tyvara every night. She's just like, oh, okay. He's like, definitely gone over um i ought to be appalled but all i feel is sadness he has no idea what he's shoulder how how it will always mark him as untrustworthy even if they do accept his decision and that is a cost of stone making um with every magician who learns black magic we seem to be losing something perhaps our innocence perhaps caution it's just the kind of thing that i I just have a really hard time getting as worked up about it as everyone else. It just felt to me like it's a matter of time. This magic is out there. Y'all know it's out there. You're trying to like create these trade alliances, with people who practice this magic. It, there was no way to keep it out of the guild entirely. It was never going to happen. And the fact that they kept it out for as long as they have to the point that their own records fail to, mention anything about this being in common use is really quite an accomplishment, but I wasn't under any illusions that this was like a permanent situation. You know, I just felt like that was what the whole series sort of felt like it would have been building towards before I knew that this was where we were actually going. I was just like, yeah, I mean, getting to the point where the entire guild is like becoming more okay with black magic and practicing it. That just seems like something that m makes sense. You know, you need. Th th it's apparently so limiting to do magic the way that they can, w the way that they do. That there's even this like being able to imbue objects with magic with these crystals that they had no idea about. And you're just as vulnerable to this magic, whether you're using it or not, you know, you had a girl fucking murder a guy and have a a thought blocking stone and almost get away with it. How many other people could potentially do that? You know? Um, so this is when she finally actually has the uh, conversation with him and he admits that he isn't going to be coming back with her. And she like thinks about how she could force him to, but she doesn't want to do that to him. Um, and she challenges him a little bit on the overall idea that the traitors will be better than the Ashaki, um, and asks the way that they have this planned out. Um, he is essentially like, they're not perfect. God knows I've lived in and among them. And, uh, it had, it was a bit of a mess. There were some bad people, but they seemed to mostly be on the right path. And I think that their cause at the very least is simply, there's no question. We need to end this slavery. And I think you would feel differently about it and more strongly about it. If you had seen what it is they do to people and how they're treated. And I think that he's right about that. 
she sort of wonders vaguely, like, God, what did they do to him? But he clearly doesn't want to talk about it. And she doesn't press any further on that. Um, so then we go to Lilia's POV. And she comes walking up to the magician's quarters where she's going to be going and seeing Callan and having her like private one-on-one lesson. And all of these students are gathered around the entrance. Um, or no, not, sorry, not the magician's quarters. She's leaving there and she's heading towards the university. Um, and they are blocking her way and fucking Bakken again. What, what are you doing? Look out that way. A few of the novices snickered. They drew closer together. She would have to push her way through them or go around the front of the university. We're not going to let you in, Bakken said. Lilia smothered a smile. Idiot. It's so obvious what they're doing. He didn't need to say it aloud, and now they can't pretend they were doing anything they weren't doing anything wrong. So she does this thing that is so baller, and I know that this is probably gonna bite her in the ass eventually, because she has to have her like confrontation with him but honestly this was impressive so (laughs) she takes a few steps up and is like are you sure because uh, I'm supposed to have my black magic lesson in a minute and I really feel like the black magician probably wouldn't love it if he found out that you were out here and Bakken's like you can't even really use black magic you haven't done anything And somebody even suggests that she won't be graduating. Lilia does not let any of this even make an impression on her. It's not even like she's like, oh my God, are they right? It doesn't even land. She's like, yeah, I'm graduating next year. I have more to learn than the average novice. To make sure the hint sank in, she reached into her robe and pulled out the small, slim knife she had purchased at Callan's recommendation. She had wondered why he had insisted she needed one when she wasn't supposed to use black magic and suspected it was to be sure he got to approve her choice. He'd told her to buy something plain but good quality, something more refined than a kitchen knife, but nothing as distastefully flashy as the knives the Sachakans wore. She'd met some knife makers and chosen an elegant, slim knife with a blade that folded neatly into and out of an ebony and silver handle, an action she had practiced doing one-handed an action she used now. She resisted a laugh as several of the novices drew in sharp breaths, but she couldn't just stand there waving a knife around. If a magician saw her, she'd be in as much trouble as the other novices, maybe more. Inside her bag, among the books and study notes, was a pachi fruit. Jana had put it in there when it had been clear Lilia would not have time to eat all of her morning meal. Taking it out, Lilia began to cut slices from the fruit and eat them. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. Honestly, it's just so satisfying. They get interrupted at this point by a magician showing up and being like, why the fuck are you guys all in the way? Jesus. Um, at Once the novice is scattered, the closest to the magician sketching a hasty bow. Bakken was the only one looking disappointed, Lillian noted. The rest looked relieved. He sneered at her as she walked up the stairs past him. And I'm really curious whether or not, like, it's just about, like, I I feel like there has to be more going on here than just him being salty that she's still here and she's a black magician. Like, there's something, like, did somebody in her his family get killed by a black magician? Or is there a fucking, some sort of grudge? I don't know. It just feels like there's more going on than just regular bullying. It's because bullies get off on having power over people. And it doesn't feel like everybody is sort of throwing in behind him wholeheartedly the way a bully needs to feel motivated to continue this behavior. They are seemingly rounded up and he has to sort of lean on them every time to like press her. And they don't feel like they're as committed as he is, which what, so what's he doing you know, clearly that can't be giving him the satisfaction unless he's doing this to like other people. And she just happens to be the one person it doesn't quite work with because they know about her abilities. Um, so anyway, Callan uh, greets her and tells her that this is going to be the day where she learns how to make blood gems. 
Um, so she follows her instructions and uh, she's able to get it pretty quickly. And uh, she real she finds out about the way that they work. Um, and he asks her, do you know how they function? And she had thought that the person who created it could see what the wearer sees and they can also like mentally communicate. And he's like, yeah, but also the creator can see their thoughts and they don't get to stop them. There's no way to stop it unless you're wearing a blocking stone, which uh, evidently she didn't put together that that was what Naki was working with. Um, I thought that she already knew about that, but yeah. Um, she says something like, he says, unless the wearer is carrying a blocking stone, she blinked in surprise. This was new. What's that? And I was like, have you not figured this out yet? But I guess not. Maybe she just thought it was like the ability of that one particular ring and didn't realize it was because of the stone that was in it. Um, so she asks, what else can the stones do? And he says, anything a magician can do. And she says, even a black magician. And he says in that they can draw in and store power. Yes. But you must keep that to yourself for now. So this is really interesting to me in the context of the wasteland. You know, we have all these stones that have been pulling life force out of the ground. Buried for God knows how long. And... That, I would assume, means that they are full of power. Now, that's only because I'm sort of equating life force with magic, and that's not necessarily true in this world. So it may not be what I'm thinking, but if it is, then they've got like a bunch of sticks of dynamite that they're carrying around. I would think that they'd be able to sense if that magic was being stored in there, though. Mm, I don't know. Um... So, yeah, and this is when he tells her that um, they are going to be letting her learn how to make some of these stones eventually, uh, more than likely. And she asks if that means she'll have to travel to Sachaka. And he says no, but she can tell from the way he says it, he's maybe not totally sure of that. You know? Um, so... Would the, she finally asks, would the guild let Sari and his two bodyguards stay here? And Callan is like, yeah, I think that they probably would let him. When does he want to come? Um, and she says, uh, he says that he'll let her know as soon as he can. We managed to get some seeds, thanks to you. Um, if Sari, Sari is still willing to help us catch Skellen, we may be able to do so soon. And then we go to... Um, Gull and Sari. And Gull has been up above ground and has sort of uh, rooted around to see what's going on. What's the haps? What's the skinny, the down low? Um, and apparently the thieves now call themselves princes and they call Skellen the king, which Sari is not impressed by at all. He rolls his eyes so hard. And I found it hilarious to be perfectly honest, like it just, the, the way he reacts, was being like, Oh God, of course they do fucking losers. Jesus. On, I found that so funny. Um, he asks what like the opinion of everybody else is of this. And goal says they all think they got big headed, but nobody says it aloud because they're scared. They know Skellen is a rogue magician and his mother is a thief hunter. Both have done nasty things to people who wouldn't do what they wanted. Good thing is, everybody hates him now. Uh, everybody thinks you're dead. And when I suggested maybe you were still alive, a few said they hoped so and that you were working out a way to get rid of him. Um, in one bowl house, the people I got chatting to had an argument about whether you were hiding in the guild or not. The one who doubted it said you couldn't be because the guild is working with Skellen. And there's like the possibility that they know something that Sari and Gold don't know, or it's possible that Skellen himself is like 
perpetuating. Is that a is that a word? Perpetuating, propitiating. I know perpetuating is to continue, but what if you begin? Is that propitiate? I'm not looking that up right now. It might be that the origin of the rumor is Skellen because it makes him seem a little bit more frightening if he is like backed by magicians. Um, so let's see. Then he asks about the supplier and Gol says, Saski's still there, still got the mine fire. He's been trying to sell a new tool that uses it, some sort of blowpipe that people warned me was as likely to blow up as work. His most popular product is little packets that people throw into the fire to make a bang and a flash of light. People liked the bangers, but they couldn't see much use for the mine fire when magicians can do the same things it can do. Um, it can't, let's see, yeah. So, and Sari says they don't see it could let ordinary people do things magicians can do. And Gull's like, mm, it can't heal people or levitate things or move stuff from across the room. It's not really like what people, that's what people want to be able to do with magic. That's their dream. You know, this stuff is just blowing up. Uh, plus Sasuke is always going on about how fucking unsafe it all is. So people just kind of stay away from it. Um, and Goal says Sasuke uh, described how mine fire was used in the mines of the far north. We'll be using the same method. So they decide that they're going to get an intermediary kid in order to buy it because they don't want to give Sasuke a direct line on who's getting it and potentially open themselves up to uh, to Skellen, you know, if he were to go off and like inform him about it. Um, so they talk about installing tubes in the walls for all of this, which I'm guessing is to like blow everything up so that they can collapse the whole shebang on top of Skellen. Um, and I'm trying to see where it is, where they're talking about Anyi. Um, okay, here it is. Uh, you'll have to get the tubes in the walls while, she, while Anyi's not here. You don't want to wait until they're sure the plants are row it. Once we have the trap set up, there's always going to be a danger. It'll go off before we're ready. Sari shook his head. Not after what Lilia said about the higher magicians being prepared to let us live in the guild in the meantime. Anya was too keen to do it, too ready to argue with me about it. Something tells me her patience is running out or that she knows something we don't. Um, which I don't feel like her patience is running out. So I'm sort of wondering if it's just that she wants to like, maybe she's supposed to be around Lilia a little bit more, or maybe she's just worried, you know, I don't know. Um, so then we go to chapter 20, first encounter and Lorcan is with the traders. Um, and he, his mother had shown him all of the, uh, stones and told him about the way that she found them, like discovering it in the pool and, and finding the others. So he is spending some time as he's walking, trying to sense where more of these stones are. Um, I said he's with the traders. He's not yet. I don't think, I think they are. Lorcan trudged along with the traders and tried not. Oh no. Okay. So the searches for the stones happened the night before. That's why. Okay. I got a little confused there. Um, and he wasn't able to find any more. And he realizes now that like his mother hinted that him using black magic would help with finding them. And he didn't ask her to explain in detail what that actually meant. So he goes out there sort of thinking, Oh, I know black magic and then I'll find them. But he realizes it's not that simple. There's like some sort of method clearly to doing it. And he isn't able to zero in on what that is. Um, and he also had asked his mother about reading surface thoughts. And she says, your father was supposed to have been able to. I always assumed he encouraged the rumor in order to maintain the fear or awe people regarded him with. And if questions were raised about other abilities, he shouldn't have. He could point to that rumor as an example of the silly things people thought about him. Um, and Lorcan says it might not have been a lie. And she immediately understands and is like, hey, uh, don't tell anybody about it. 
that's going to make people around you pretty uncomfortable also. So just be careful with it. You don't want to know too much about people. And he sort of realizes pretty quickly that she's probably right. You know, he only managed to do it with Tyvara. And I'm guessing part of that is his like bond with her. But there are times where some of this information is better off not known. <laughs> um, there's just things I think we could all stand to not know. So this is when Lorcan has a conversation with Tyvara about uh, Regin. And let's see. Bah, bah, bah. Did they become good friends as is so often the case? No, mother hasn't forgiven him. Why do you ask? Well, Savara and I both thought it was odd that the guild would send two people with such obvious regard for each other. Impossible. You've got the wrong idea. Maybe you're right, or maybe the seeming impossibility of it led the guild to not realizing what a bad choice Regin is. Or maybe Sania and Regin don't realize it either. And uh, she kind of, like... He he says something about like women gossiping and matchmaking, and she's just like, "Okay, how about you don't be fucking condescending about it?" When this is very really something that could have like ill effects on our plans here, you know, they're a liability potentially. So don't be an asshole. And I really appreciated that. Um. So. Then we have this moment, and it's been underlined uh, ten times, according to Kindle. Whenever I find myself thinking I don't deserve someone as good as you, Lorcan, I remind myself that if you're willing to come with me, you may be a little bit mad. And I did ra rather like that line. That's one of those things where it's like, we do tend to have that circular thinking when somebody seems too good for us and yet they're interested. We're like, is that evidence in and of itself that they aren't as good as I think? Because nobody actually good could be involved with me or interested in me. Um, and he realizes that he hasn't told her about what happened to him. And I had forgotten that he never gets into detail with her because she directly asks him what happened in the last section. And for some reason, I sort of like had it in my head that he would tell her later and probably off page and to come back and realize that he has never told her still. That was a little surprising to me. And uh, he's really worried that when she knows what he did, she will be angry with him and maybe not think that he's a good person. And he tries to tell himself, oh, I just haven't had a chance to tell her yet, but realizes really quickly like, oh, I did. I just didn't really want to sully my, you know, rep in her eyes, basically. Um, if this is what feel, what it feels like to have killed someone when they wanted it, what is it going to be like when the war starts and I kill people who don't want it? Maybe it wouldn't be so difficult given that they had enslaved, tortured and killed others. Maybe it will be easier. Um, so I'm trying to see exactly how this goes in. Um, they, they are at this like cluster of buildings and she, let's see, but I'm trying to find the exact way that this goes down. Um, talk had ceased. They made their way down the last dune. Um, she told them to stand. Oh, right. Savara tells everybody who comes over and like bows to the, I say bows. They throw themselves to the ground. Um, she tells them up and to never lower themselves like that again. And she says to them to stay away from the house until we're done. And one of the guys says, I can go back and tell the others to get out. That would be very brave. You must not let the Ashaki suspect we're coming though. And she says, he says he definitely won't that they've been planning this for years and they take off. So, some of these outer estates were run by trusted slave masters so that they might not encounter an Ashaki or the Ashaki could be out visiting or tending to business. But the boy would have told Savara if that was so. So they go inside and um, Tyvara says that she's carrying plenty of stones, but we're supposed to avoid using them until the battle. I'll make sure you have your own set for the final battle, which I'm assuming that they're stones full of power. Um, 
And when they go inside, this dude comes in and is just like, what's going on? Cause she's telling all of the slaves, like, we'll protect you. It won't be for long. And for a moment, it looks like they're fucking, you know, their, their spot got blown up. And Lorcan's like, fuck, because the guy is carrying a whip. From somewhere behind, beyond the building, the man had emerged, uh, sorry, from somewhere beyond the building the man had emerged from came a boom. It's a weirdly constructed sentence. They all jumped and looked up to see fragments of what might be roof tiles flying into the air. The man turned and stared at Lorcan and Tyvara, his eyes widening. It's time, he asked. It is, Tyvara replied. He grinned and tossed the whip onto a pile of firewood. At last. Turning from them, he strode away from the buildings. Lorcan looked at Tyvara, expecting her to stop him, but she only smiled. Wherever we could, we let the slave masters know that if they weren't unnecessarily cruel, we'd consider giving them some of their Ashaki's estate when we took over. Which, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but it's a means, it's method. It makes sense to me. So they head out from this particular room after they've let everybody go. Um, and they walk past the master's room that has been sort of collapsed into rubble. And there's a dude who is on the floor ble bleeding from a shallow cut. Clearly magic was taken from him until he died. And there's this moment with Lorcan. He, uh, he remembered the Ashaki who he and Daniel had stayed with when they first entered Sachaka. The man had been friendly and generous. Perhaps this dead man had been kind too. Perhaps he had kept slaves only because it was what powerful Sachakans like him had always done. Perhaps he would have surrendered if given the chance. Surely he didn't deserve to die like this. It was impossible to know. The traitors couldn't imprison all Ashaki and put them on trial to decide if death was an appropriate punishment. To imprison them would take too much of the traitors' time and energy. The traitors are at war with a way of life, not the individual people, but individuals will pay the price. He suspected, though, that many of the Ashaki would refuse to change their ways, even if they were given a choice. So this is one of those moments that it's like, I understand looking at individuals and feeling like they may not individually deserve this. But this, like, he, he contemplates whether or not, um, perhaps this, he had kept slaves only because it was what powerful Sachakins like him had always done. That kind of line where like, well, just everybody was doing it is so inadequate to me. Like you might be a, a somewhat decent person to your peers, but you can't keep slaves and be a good person. You just can't. I'm sorry. If you are a good person, you leave a place like this and you go to a land that does not have slavery and you live there because your conscience can't abide living with this sort of structure beneath you, supporting your, your weight. I just don't like, I just can't. It's not like there, these other countries that don't have slavery are even very far away or difficult to go to. It's just... In my opinion, the whole like, well, but maybe if it was just like the tradition. No, no. They're treated like farm animals. They're treated like property. And if you can look at a human being and allow that treatment and not only allow it, but actively participate in the selection of slaves and keeping of them. Like the only way I could ever see that being like something you could try to justify is if you were forced to be in this country and live this way because of some external force and you did your best with making all of the slaves under your command as comfortable and as free as it was possible to be without shattering local custom and drawing attention to yourself in some way. And it does not seem considering that a slave master with a whip comes in to talk to them about this, that that was what this guy was doing. So this moment with just Lorcan just being like, Oh God, well, I don't know. Man. I just can't care. I just don't care, man. 
you know, it's not like this man wasn't wealthy. He had all the resources in the world to relocate and not be part of this. And he chose to be part of this. Whether or not you're born into a thing, you don't like there comes a point in your life where choosing to continue to participate is a distinct choice that you decided to make that you actively pursued continuing this like line of treatment, you know? Um, so, um, ba ba ba. There was a pile of rubble in the courtyard. There, a richly dressed woman stood glaring at Savara, her face streaked with tears. The Ashaki's wife, Tavara murmured, were hoping it won't be necessary to kill the women and children. They won't obey you, the queen was saying to the woman. You had better get used to that. My people will do what they can to protect you, but they won't guard you day and night. The rest is up to you. And this is one of those things that I'm very mixed on because the women are often treated like cattle as well in this country, you know, like they are abused and raped and just, it's awful. At the same time, there is a power structure in place that you're expecting them to just like get used to and like get used to a massive paradigm shift. And I'm not super confident that a woman who's been accustomed to at least being able to take out her own petty angers on her servants, since she was impotent against her husband, I'm not confident she'll be able to adjust easily and like be better. But I guess we'll see. Um, so they they get some news here that a group has lost uh, one of their fighters and Savara is kind of startled at how quickly they have lost someone. Um, and a bunch of slaves at this point come forward and they offer to Savara for her to take their uh, power if she needs it. They're basically all just like, Hey, we owe you clearly. And Savara starts to say that they don't really need it yet. But Tyvara is like, I think they would like it. I don't even think they're just offering because they feel obligated. I think they would appreciate you taking it because it would make them feel like they were a part of things. And the queen is like, all right, you know what? That makes sense. But I'm not going to use the knife that I'm using on our enemies on you. And somebody steps forward with a knife and, uh, she looks at it and hands it back to him and says, you make the cut. I will not deliberately harm my own people. And I really appreciated that moment. I thought that was a really nice, like, subtle choice there of just, I mean, subtle is probably the wrong word. It's not subtle, but it's something that just makes enough of a distinction that it really matters in this moment. And um, I just found that kind of touching. I don't know. I, I really liked this. And Savara finally says, we can't really, like, we don't have time to stay and take power from everybody. And the first person's like, all right, well, then we're going to give it to your fighters. And a woman comes up and offers her wrist to Lorcan. And she's like, dude, you're one of us. Or uh, Tyvara says, you're one of us now, so you better get used to it. And she hands him a knife that they will have to share because he doesn't have his own. And uh, I think this is going to be like, is it going to be the first time that he's really like seriously taken power? I feel like it is. And that might be a heady experience for him. Um, so then we go to Regin and Sania and they are following far behind. And when they come across this group of slaves, um, the slaves spot them and are just sort of like, why, why are you here? You're clearly not Sachakin. She explains that she was meeting with the traders and they're like, well, then why aren't you with them? You're way far behind them. You're days behind. And she says to avoid being caught up in the fighting. And the dude that they're speaking to, who's like kind of the head of this like little crew, um, he says, we'll have to check that that is the truth. And she's, I thought that he meant he was going to read her mind. And then I was like, oh yeah, he probably doesn't have magic like that. My bad. Um, she nodded, of course. Inwardly, she cursed. 
If they did manage to contact Savara, the queen would learn that Sania and Regin were following her. She might try to stop them. And I'm thinking, mm, I don't know. I feel like Savara would be like, you know, this attack, this rebellion is going really well. So maybe y'all can bear witness and then go back to your people and be like, yo, uh, they did that shit. And they pretty much did it on their own because that's how organized they are. Um, so finally he, he says in the meantime, you'll, you'll have to stay with us. And when she asks, that would be great. Who will we stay with? He starts to realize that he was like a little bit too aggro right out of the gate. Um, and she asks him as they're like making their way onto the estate about the damage here. And, uh, is this the traitor attack that caused this? And, also asks for some details about what the setup for power is going to be here. And he says that they're going to try to run things on their own. Um, and she says, oh, so they're not going to take ownership of it? And he says, some estates they will take. Most will go to ex-slaves, some will be divided up, and the rest of the slaves will be paid for their work and free to live where they want, marry who they want, and keep their children. Um, which is it's interesting because this is a universe in which the people who are enslaved are the same race as the people who enslaved them. And I'm wondering, because there's not an, an outward marker to distinguish somebody who was likely a slave, how quickly it will be possible to not tell who was a slave and who wasn't, you know, because in the United States, granted that only black people were not slaves. There were also Native American slaves. But for the most part, we performed chattel slavery with black people. And so it wasn't like you could just melt into society and learn the uh, like social mores of, of being upper class and pretend that you had no slaves in your background because it was obvious that you had black blood. So I'm wondering, or sometimes it was, you could pass for white if, you know, but that wasn't frequently possible. Um, so I really wonder how the fact that everybody's the same race will affect integration of slaves and non-slaves in their society. Um, so then she has a bit of like confrontation with him about the fact that they blame the Sachakins or the... Um, Kirillians for the wasteland and she's like yeah okay but y'all came and killed a bunch of us like very recently the wasteland 600 years old we could go way back and keep on holding each other responsible or we could just sort of let it go and he seems to agree to let it go um and I'm over time here but real quick Sari meets with this guy who's named Perrin and uh he gives them this parcel of what I guess is the mine powder. Um, what is it called? Mine? Is that what it's called? Pfft, trying to find it. Um, and they're, they're, they call the people who are mine fire. That's what it was. Um, they call them minders, which is real weird. I don't really understand that one. It doesn't feel like just adding an extra letter and changing the word up doesn't feel like a different thing. It's just kind of confusing. I don't know. It's a weird moment there that distracted me, them being called minders. Um, but Perrin, he tells Sari good luck as he gives him this package, but also says, uh, and good health looks like you could do with some. And Sari's sort of like, shit, do I look that bad? And Sari has been feeling really tired lately. And I can't help but wonder if maybe there is like a death coming for him because he seems like he's winding down real hard all of a sudden. Um, so the chapter ends with, it was nice to know that someone, even if just a minder, was pleased to know Sari was still alive. Which, yeah, I could see that. It's been like, well, at least somebody appreciates me. Um, so that's it. And... Uh, you know, there's only like, I mean, I'm trying to think because the number of chapters, the chapter numbers aren't listed on the Kindle. I'll figure it out. But I think I may have about five episodes left of this. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm real curious to see what happens. We're winding up finally. So yay.
Thank you again, Ashley, for commissioning this. I hope you guys are enjoying listening, and I will be seeing you again soon with a new episode. Until then, toodaloo, motherfuckers. Spoiled Network Podcast. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.